Well, good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. Thank you. My name is uh, John Markham, and I am one of the elders here at Midtown Granny White. Um, this is my wife, Haley, here on the front row. <laughs> She's red. Now, we have three kids, Ford, Millie, and uh, Henry. Uh, but I just want to welcome everybody here today and uh, wish you a happy new year. Um, and just to recap a little bit what Randy talked about last week, he told us he, uh, he told the story of Jesus' first miracle at a wedding in Cana, and he talked about how we as people are, we're just not enough. And he talked about how Jesus loves our not, not enough, and in fact, that's why he came, because of our not enough. So I'm about to read some, some verses from Romans here in a second, then I'm going to give a couple of examples, um, but I don't, I don't do this very often, so I, you know, I just don't have any idea how those are going to hit with you. And so here's what I really want you to take away from my time up here this morning. And that's this, the law doesn't work. I want it to work, but because of sin, I'm just gonna continually fall short. So just a couple quick tidbits about the law. I think we're all familiar with the 10 commandments. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. Remember the Sabbath, honor your father and your mother. Um, and as if those 10 commandments weren't hard enough, God goes on to give the Israelites another 600 laws and commands. And these laws were everything from laws about just ritual, laws about uh, different traditions, laws about social justice, laws about morality. And in following them, Israel was gonna show the other nations what God was like. Except that, that Moses hadn't even made it down from Mount Sinai yet before the Israelites, with uh, Aaron's blessing, were already crafting uh, an idol out of gold. And so we see this cycle just continue and continue over and over again. All right, so I'm gonna be reading from Romans again, uh, chapter seven, verses 14 through 21. I think it'll be up here on the, uh, on the screen behind me. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And if I do what I want... To, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. All right, so I, I was gonna talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions here and um, seemed like an appropriate topic, but um, I know we've got kids here today, so I, what, I, what, I really, what I really wanna do is just play a little game. And so I need some, uh, some volunteers from the audience, maybe some, some kids to come up. Ford and Millie, I know y'all volunteered. You got any, yeah. You got, any other kids for the audience? Maybe an adult too. I think, we need, I think we need one adult, one brave adult to come up here. Okay. All right, so let's spread out. What we're gonna do is we're gonna play a little game of Simon Says. All right. Everybody know how to play Simon Says, right? Yep, okay. So, y'all ready to go? All right, Simon Says, put your right hand in the air. Simon Says, put your left hand in the air. Simon says, put your hand on your head. Put your right hand back in the air. Oh, uh-oh. All right, let's try again. Simon says, all right, Simon says, put everything down. Yeah. Simon says, stand on one leg. 
Somebody says, hop on, wet leg. Stop hopping. Oh. <laughs> Good job, guys. All right. Um, y'all can stop. All right, Simon says, stop hopping. So, um, did y'all want to do what Simon told you to do? Yeah? Yeah, we wanted to do what Simon told us to do. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, even though we want to do what, what Simon says or what God, God says, you know, we just are unable to do it. We're, we want to do it, but we just, we just can't. And so, um, all right, thank you guys for coming up here. So some of you know, too, that um, I used to kick footballs in college. I was a kicker at Vanderbilt. And there's basically one law of kicking, and that kicking, if, uh, if God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai, it would have said something like, thou shalt kick the ball through the uprights. <laughs> um, so it was uh, the year 2000. We were playing Tennessee. Uh, this was my last game of my senior year. Uh, this was back at the, kind of the twilight of the Phil Fulmer era, and so Tennessee was still pretty good. We didn't have a great team, but Tennessee was still pretty good. And it was early in the fourth quarter. We just, uh, it was, scores 21 to six. And Tennessee just turned the ball over down an iron of the field. Well, a couple, uh, a couple of plays later, we punched the ball into the end zone. We score a touchdown to make the, uh, make the score 21 to 12. And coach raises his hand in the air, signaling that's a signal for the, the team to go out on the field and kick the extra point. And I don't think that I have to tell y'all that the extra point is the easiest kick in football, right? It's, you cannot get much shorter than an extra point. It's 20 yards long, smack dab in the middle of the field. So you can, you can hit a bad kick and make, and make an extra point. You can hit a, a very bad kick and make an extra point. But, so I hit a very, very bad kick. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I found that game on YouTube. I mean, I hooked that thing way left. But, but do y'all think I wanted to miss that kick? No, I didn't want to miss that kick. And, I, and just preparing for this, I went back and I tried to think, and I think I must have kicked between 4,500 and 5,000 kicks in just that season alone, leading up to that kick. I wanted to make that kick. I'd put in the work, but despite my desires, despite everything, all the work that I'd put in, I violated that one law of kicking. And so it's just like the law. It's just like the law. I want it to work, but it doesn't work. Because of sin, I'm just gonna continually fall short. So I'm about to wrap up. This has gone much quicker than I anticipated. Kevin, you told me it would, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've kind of raced through it here. But I, I, before I go, I, I'd like to end maybe on a, on a slightly upbeat note, and that there's also something that's really beautiful about the law, and that is that it reveals our need for a savior. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. So we talk a lot about shame here at Midtown. If you've been here, you've, I'm sure you've heard some pastor talk about it. You probably heard Randy say something like, guilt tells me that I've done something wrong, but shame, but shame tells me that I am something wrong. And when, they're do, when, when he's talking about that, he's really talking about this kind of toxic shame. Uh, but there's another side of shame too. And Chip Dodd writes about this in his book, the voice of the heart. He said, shame elicits the experience of conscience and consciousness of both our own limitation and giftedness. In seeing ourselves as we are, we find that we are full of dreams and capabilities, 
keepers of great worth who are also needy and unable a lot of time to do what we say we're going to do or wish to do. We are glorious ruins in need of others and God. Shame does not humiliate. It creates, it helps create humility within us. That humility grows out of the profound recognition of our limitations. It shows us how deficient we are without others and God. Folks, the law doesn't work. I want it to work, but because of sin, I'm gonna continually fall short. But it's in that continually falling short, it's in that not, not being enough that I'm gonna see my need for a savior. So would y'all pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we just, I just thank you for your law this morning. Uh, not because it's some playbook that I'd like it to be where I can just check things off and see how I'm doing, Lord, but because through it, I, I see my need for you. So Lord, I just, um, I pray this morning that, uh, that we would see our need, that we would feel our, fear, feel our need as we kind of go throughout the rest of the day and uh, continue this new year, Lord. And I pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. All right. Good morning, guys. My name is Michael Gilbert. I am also one of the elders here at Midtown. And I had some low-hanging fruit goals this morning is not to use the bathroom with the mic on, not to trip on the three stairs coming up here, and I am killing it this morning. So I appreciate that. There's still time. There's still time. It's all right. It's all good. Um, being an elder means I just need Jesus more than you guys. So check. Um, so John got to bring the bad news this morning. So everyone give him a round of applause for bringing the bad news. I'll come in to save the day. So um, I'll introduce myself again, Michael Gilbert. I am one of the elders. My wife is Jenny Gilbert, and I'm also known as Josie's dad. A lot of y'all probably met Josie. She's the jumping joy girl that if she has a mic in her hand, she's probably not gonna let it go because she's got stuff to say. Um, but we love that. So John's the bummer guy. I'm gonna bring the good news. So the good news this morning is that the law and the law that he spoke about that we kind of desperately, and I'll use good Midtown statements of, I desperately want the law to work for me because I think I, ultimately I wanna be righteous on my own account and I don't need Jesus. He has enough to do. Maybe he'll just let me handle myself. So that's not the, that's not the message I'm bringing today. So um, the message I am bringing, and then I hope, I know there's kids in here, I know this is a different format than normal, but I really wanna challenge you guys to pay attention to just the start, you can zone out at the end, that's fine. But at the start, I really want you to grasp the truth and the good news that I'm bringing. So uh, I'm gonna be also preaching in Romans, Romans 12, eight. All right, so are y'all paying attention? Can y'all see the scripture? Okay, so I'm gonna read it. So y'all read up there, okay? Read to yourselves. Uh, all right. There is some condemnation for those who are in Christ. And depending on what you have done and how bad you are determines the degree of how much condemnation you get. Is that, wait a minute. Are y'all paying attention? Okay, Does that what it, is that what it said? Okay. Is that what it said, kids? No, okay. So we're having fun, make sure y'all paying attention. Okay, so this says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So one of the words I want you to, talk, to pay attention to is the no condemnation. 
I joked about the first passage saying there's some condemnation because if I'm honest, when I see that and I read that, that sounds good, but functionally, I kind of operate sometimes if, yeah, but there's kind of some condemnation. Surely God can't really look the other way at my sin. Um, and that makes me kind of wrestle with the definition of what is condemnation. And so those that know me know I'm always like have analogies running through my head. Like you could hand me a book, I won't do any, it doesn't do me any good, but like give me illustrations and pictures. <laughs> that's all right, I'll own it. Um, that's how I learn. And so think about the word condemnation. So the definition is to pronounce to be guilty, to sentence to punishment, or to pass judgment against. So not a good scenario. Condemnation, we're not happy about this. Um, another imagery I think of when I think of condemn, condemnation is a house that is condemned. Because I don't really use condemnation in my everyday language, but if a condemned house, I kind of get that picture. So imagine, um, I get to cook for a living, so I like cooking, I love having dinner parties and stuff. And so imagine I invite you guys over to my house and I'm gonna cook you dinner and we'll have some nice wine, bring your kids, we have a playroom, you can have a good time. Oh, but by the way, my house is condemned. You would probably be like, wait, hold up. What's that one part? I'm like, yeah, I'll cook you dinner, bring the kids. No, 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 the condemned part. And if I told you, oh yeah, I mean, it's just like a little condemned, <laughs> you would still be like, I, I'm not coming, I'm not coming over and I'm not bringing my kids. And I don't, Michael, I don't think you should be living in that mindset. Functionally, that is not healthy for you to be living in a slightly condemned, either fully condemned situation. So I have, so taking that analogy, we have a guy that agrees with that. He agrees that we do not need to live in that way. And so um, we'll get to the, we'll get further down that road here in a minute, but another kind of analogy I have, and this is, I was encouraged to use an illustration from a personal situation. So I don't, think this exists too much nowadays, thank God. But when I was a little boy in preschool, um, this when the teacher would like leave every day and leave someone in charge, like a five-year-old in charge, to watch the class while the teacher went outside, got the milk, and then we'd bring it back in. We had milk time and probably nap after that. Well, uh, teacher left, some girl in charge. I was slided. I was not left in charge. But this little boy, Michael, another Michael, stood up and just started like acting a fool, just like broke, breaking on the rules. And I'm like, dude, shh, you're gonna get in trouble. And he just like stuck his fingers in his ears, was like, and so I was like, Michael, you gotta sit down. And so I pulled his arm and I didn't pull it too hard. I'm defending my five-year-old actions here. <laughs> but Michael lost it. He cried like I had pulled his arm out of socket, which I did not. And so the teacher comes in with the milk and Michael is just screaming, just, ah! and I'm, I'm in trouble. And so teacher grabs me by the arm, forcefully takes me down the hall to the principal. And I, I, I started to get a grasp of feeling condemned. Even though I could plead my case, I could, there's some nuance to what happened, but I'm somehow getting uh, condemnation for my actions. And so I remember sitting down, it's like such a power move where like I'm in this like tiny little chair looking up at the principal right here and he's like looking down and no lie, above his desk was a paddle hang, mounted above his desk and it's got holes in it for aerodynamics. 
And I just remember thinking, even as a five-year-old, I'm like, there was a conscious choice to actually like, someone had to help him mount it and make sure it was straight. And this is a paddle for children. So I'm sitting there, judgment has been made, punishment is in view, and I'm just, I've lost it. No one asked me, hey, what happened? What's your side of the story? I was like, you're in trouble. So that's condemnation. So I did not, I did get paddled, by the way. I know Randy will start an illustration sometimes and never land it. I got paddled, and then the teacher came out during car line and said, told my mom what had happened, and then when I got home, I got double punished for something that I really feel like I didn't do. So if any of y'all are therapists, come and see me, and we'll deal with that. (laughs) So... All right, so I share that just because condemnation is not like it's just a verdict. It, you feel it. it. Functionally, it has something heavy on you that is the opposite of freedom. I did not feel freedom. I felt condemned. And what do we do with condom- things that are condemned, judged? It's trash. So I want to do one more illustration um, about condemnation. And then this is kind of for the kids aka 42-year-olds who need illustrations. All right, so I got a Sharpie. Okay, here's, here's me. Wait, cool hair, scraggly mustache, whatever. All right, that's me. All right, and now we got me. We have the law. And the law, like John was a bummer about, we just can't keep it. The, we are not able to keep the law. The law is not, not important, but it really just kind of exposes what I want, but really a reality that, man, I have broken it, and it does not bring peace. The law does not save. The law does not, uh, it's not meant to save. The law is good because it's of God, and it really points to his holiness and my unholiness. So, Michael, unhappy, the law condemnation. I feel it. Man, what do we do with trash, kids? That's right. And I can feel like that. I can feel like, okay, well, I blew it. I broke the law. And this is kind of the result of where I'm at, who I am. This is my new functional reality. This is the condemned house I'm inviting you to. But luckily, like I said earlier, we have a God that is not content to leave us in condemnation. And so I can falsely think that maybe God just wants to come and smooth out my rough edges and restore me back to maybe this, but there's still the law. But he's just kind of overlooking my wrinkles, overlooking some of, the, some of the things that I'm not proud of. But I got to tell you, that's not what the Bible says. Back in Romans 12, 8, 1, 1 through 2, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not a little, not some. No. So God has a different plan now. I'm going to try to, doesn't matter if you see what I'm doing, but God has a different plan. And it was not to just look the other way. It was not to go through the law without having its punishment. But the law was dealt with, not by me, not by my best efforts, not by me pretending like I don't have it or rewriting the law to where maybe it doesn't really affect me anymore, the nuances of it. The law has a new plan, dealt with by Christ. So the law is done, amen?
Condemnation, some? I love it. So what do we do with this guy? So we listen to what Jesus did. And then in Romans 12, 8, where it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. We don't, I don't typically use therefore in my common everyday language. So when I see it in the Bible, you see therefore, I want you to know that there's another therefore, which I love, that kind of points to law being dealt with. But now, I think we have it up. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Now let's apply the same twisted logic of, is some who are in Christ are new creations? No, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So this law that was dealt with, and this crumbled up mess that was kind of left for condemnation has now been changed. Christ came and did a new thing. And that new thing, there's no condemnation. And that no condemnation now, the heavy burden is changed. And there is a new creature being made. And that creature has a purpose and has a plan. And it does not resemble the old sinful self that was crumbled up. But now it is a new creation. Not by my own doing, but the God that can take crumbled up messes, people that lost their way, people that, all of us, who can't keep the law and do something different to set us free. So, so if there's any takeaway, something I want you to pay attention to, if this matters, and I'm not joking anymore. Like, this matters because it matters how you love each other. It matters how you love yourself. It matters how you love me. And we are the church. This is where God's people reside. And so how we treat each other matters. And so we are not people condemned anymore. We are people that we have hope because of Jesus and his work and his mighty finished work on the cross. The law is dealt with. We don't carry that burden anymore. We now get to be set free to be the new creatures he's made us to be. Y'all pray along with me. Oh, dear Jesus, thank you so much for the good news of your word. Thank you that you love us, that you found us in our helpless state and you didn't leave us there. But in your goodness, you allow us to see where we're at. You allow us to experience the condemnation just so we can look at your holiness and look at our need for you because in there we find our peace. Lord, keep us away from idols that would teach us that self-help is the best way that we can be a best version, Lord. You are not in the, per you're not in the business of making us better, Lord. You're in the business of turning us into you. So allow us just to take that this year, to love each other, that we would be people that are brave enough to believe that we, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and that we get to be set free to love other people and to show your glory. Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.